The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name's Ken Swanson. I'm the lead film and draft analyst for Arrowhead Pride. This is the AP Laboratory where myself, Matt Lane, and Craig Stout all get together to talk about last week's game, look ahead to next week's opponents, and uh, we've got a lot to talk about today. We'll talk, uh, we'll talk about Mahomes here in a second. Uh, later on in the show, we'll talk about Travis Kelsey. Uh, we'll talk about the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, we'll talk about a great piece that Craig Stout wrote um, about uh, the two sides of Bob Sutton uh, that people have been discussing. And uh, he brought in a special guest <laughs> to uh, to talk about it. Uh, it's a great it's a great piece. Um, and then we'll we'll always uh, end each show with uh, a nerd squad mailbag, and we'll do that again this week as well. Uh, first, want to talk about Patrick Mahomes a little bit, as we do every single week. Really good performance from him, I thought. Um, wasn't perfect, obviously. There was there's plenty of there's plenty of things for him to work on, but there were some good things to take away from that game. Um, some very special moments. Uh, our something smart and something special piece released today. Uh, which is Wednesday, uh, talking about a, a three-play sequence where I thought he was just exceptional. Um, there was a play where uh, if you know he kind of was, was going to try to throw a screen over the top of Miles Garrett, halted himself, found a new passing angle around him, and uh, the ball should have been completed to Demetrius Harris. Uh, let me know if you've ever heard that before. Um, and uh, plays like that are just are, are rare. I mean, I, I think it's really special for a guy to be able to kind of be going through a very robotic um, kind of play where, you know, with screen passes, there's it's very mechanical. Um, you're going to look away. You're going to get into your drop. You're even going to most of the time hitch into the throw, and then your eyes are going to come to your backside. Um, Mahomes... In the middle, like you know, he he drops, he turns, he sees that Miles Garrett's very well positioned to tip this throw, um, and he adjusts quickly. On you know, and is able to find a a path to get the ball around him to Demetrius. I think that was special. Uh, throwing with minimal points of contact the next play, or maybe no points of contact at all with the ground on that on that throw to Travis Kelsey the very next play. I mean, that's absurd. And uh, it, it's just, it's, it's, you don't see that very often. He, he's fallen down. He made a very athletic throw. It was still accurate, and they still were able to, uh, to convert it the very next play for a touchdown. And I know that play's been making rounds. 
Um, but the thing that I love about that play more than anything, yes, the ball placement was good, and it was a it was a it was a good ball. It was a good throw. It was the only place, the only person that could catch it was Travis Kelsey. But I love the trust that is growing, developing, and exists between Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, and that that's that's critical. And getting two guys with special abilities to be able to trust each other enough to do that. Um, can lead to big plays like that, a huge touchdown conversion. Um, and um, that's really encouraging to see. So um, a, lo- a lot of good things to take away from the game. It was a fun game to watch. And um, and, and just, you know, Patrick Mahomes probably going to break the single season Chiefs touchdown passing record next week against the Arizona Cardinals. This is amazing. Don't take this for granted. I almost caught myself not necessarily dreading the, the Cardinals game, but kind of just like, you know, um, this game's not going to be fun and all this stuff. Kind of just like almost taking for granted the fact that we have the best young quarterback in football. And I, I don't want anybody to do that. I, I, I did that. And, um, you know, sometimes, especially with this gig, it becomes a little bit, it, it, it can be a grind some weeks. And um, I, I want to make sure to enjoy these moments. I mean, this week, Pat, he's going to most likely break 30 touchdown passes in a season, uh, which is the single season record for the Kansas City Chiefs. So um, enjoy every moment that you're getting with a young quarterback. It wasn't too long ago that we were, you know, clamoring for one and, and now we have one so even against the cardinals when they're favored by 17 enjoy it um wanted to touch real quick and then we'll bring on matt i want to touch touch real quick about sammy Watkins. um if you kind of been watching the last three weeks he's kind of starting to come on a little bit and it's really fun to watch the connection between Watkins and mahomes um i think he's kind of starting to become more part of this offense and um, it's it's really enjoyable to watch. You know, Mahomes is trusting him more and more every single week, and you saw him catch a lot of different balls in a lot of different parts of the field, lined up in a lot of different spots. And so, I think the comfortability, the 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 teams figuring out how to use him, um, everything's kind of trending upward for him. And, and I know people were really um, upset about the big contract. I think he's been worth it. I think he's going to be worth it. And I think the value of him is how diverse and how much stress he adds to a defense that um, if you aren't paying attention to all these you know, weapons on the field, you're going to pay. And Sammy Watkins has made them pay the last three weeks. Um, it's really enjoyable to watch. And, and I can't wait to see them continue to build. From week seven to nine, Sammy Watkins has been fourth in the NFL in receiving yards. So um, he's trending upward and uh, really hope to see him uh, continue to grow. We'll bring Matt on here uh, right now and then talk to Craig later and end the show with a Nerd Squad mailbag. And now it's time to bring on Chief in Carolina on Twitter. His name is Matt Lane. Also used to go by the name... Kelsey crazies on Arrowhead Pride. It's appropriate this week because Maddie, I want to talk to you about your boy Travis Kelsey. Well, I don't know if there's a lot more to say other than we can rest the case of who tied into one in the NFL is. Woo! I mean, in reality, we could have done it in 2016, but that's okay. Patriots fans think they run everything, so we can just do it now. We'll have the ceremony, cut the ribbon, go home. <laughs> 
I love it. We're getting a big pair of golden scissors for that big event, I think, right? Oh, absolutely. Well, red and gold scissors, but yeah. Oh, I, I like that. Nice nice little touch there. That's a nice little touch. Um, what? Uh, just give me like your favorite moment, your favorite um, play of his from the Browns game. Like, what was something you watched that was just like, this dude's unbelievable? Oh, it's the first touchdown. And I mean, the second touchdown was a great catch. I love seeing it. It's great for his progression. But the first touchdown catch he had highlights everything that makes him just better than everybody else. I mean, people have to understand, he lines up out wide like a wide receiver often, but he's the size of a tight end. Travis Kelsey's 6'6", maybe 6'5", 255, 260 pounds. So he's a real tight end. And this man's out here running a wide receiver out. He's coming off the line with a little skip release. He gets a swim and an arm over, swipes a defender's hands off of him. He throws in a quick, not necessarily a double move, but it has two different fakes in the right out coming out of the cut. Like It's stuff that tight ends can't do. Even Rob Gronkowski, in his absolute heyday, is not pulling off that particular right. move that Travis Kelsey right. did. Like he's just what he's gonna do is he's gonna run down the seam, he's gonna put a defender on his back and just essentially moss over. Right. Like that's what he did, and he was fantastic at it. He might even still have the most dominant one two year run that I've ever seen from a tight end. But as about 2016, when Kelsey really started to get in the flow of the NFL, he just does things at his size that nobody else can do. His ability to run routes is just insane. Well, yeah, and I think what's been so cool is just, you know, Andy's so good at using him. And and that's one of the things, like, I really like. I think both of his touchdowns, he was kind of isolated as a Y, right? Definitely. Actually, I think oh, wait, no, wait. One, of them was, uh, tight, one of them was a tight split that was a Y ISO, but the second one, I do believe uh, Hill was over there with him. Yeah, no, you're right. But the point remains. He's he's a monster, and um, it's 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 really fun to watch. I was I was talking earlier today, and I actually on the podcast. Um, you know, the trust level that's built up between Mahomes and Kelsey to throw that second touchdown. Um, I think I think is really special. Like, what do you, what do you think about that? Oh yeah, I mean, I think you've seen it all year. Kelsey's definitely the person that Mahomes trusts the most. I think Tyreek Kill's probably a close second. And you even see him look for Kareem Hunt on little check downs. Not even check downs, just like on hot reads a lot. Yeah. But when he needs a third down or when he's just scrambling, like it looks like Kelsey's the first person he looks to. And he has absolutely no problems with throwing a ball into the tiniest of windows to Travis, thinking he's going to bring it down. And what we've seen this year is Kelsey's made a lot more contested catches because he's getting the opportunity yep. to. And I think I, part of me wonders, I think we talked about this, like, you know, some of Kelsey's hesitance about Mahomes early might just be because, you know, like he knew he was getting the ball with Alex, you know, and uh, now we're starting to see that connection starting a little bit more with Mahomes. Okay, Maddie. Um, oh, I don't even want to broach this, but I'm going to. Nope, do it. <laughs> so we got a hyped up college football game on Saturday and a monster emerged. I mean, we've been watching him for a while, but a monster emerged on the national stage. It's a guy named Quinton Williams. Um, how much would you give for the Alabama defensive lineman? Man, it's, it's crazy. I know not everybody loves college football and isn't watching it right now to see about like NFL players, but I think most people that like football tried to tune in and watch a little bit of Alabama LSU this year. I mean, it's just a fantastic game. And you couldn't do anything but help notice number 92, the pretty much nose tackle for Alabama, 
The guy had 10 tackles as a nose tackle. He had seven solo tackles as a nose tackle, led the team by at least three tackles over anybody else. Two and a half sacks. Like, he's just an absolute monster. He's, he's unbelievable right now. And the craziest part, he's a redshirt sophomore. This is his first year even getting significant snaps. So, I mean, you can only imagine what his ceiling has to be at this point in time. I, so, I heard that... What would I get? I heard that... He, hold on. I heard that he only had 150 snaps last year. Yeah, well, I mean, if you look along their... I mean, just defensive line this year, you have Raekwon Davis, who came into the league as, like, a top 10 kind of player. Isaiah Bugs is, like, your traditional... Alabama defensive lineman with good technique and he's strong and stout. Last year you had Deshaun Hand come out, who's had a very good season for the Lions so far. You had Deron Payne come out, who is kind of playing a similar role to what Quinton Williams is, only Williams is better at everything than Payne, and Payne still went early in the first round. Right. So like you just have to wrap your mind around that. He's just simply a better Deron Payne at like everything. Whew. And younger. It's <laughs> yeah. crazy. No, you, so, what would yes, you give up? What I would, would give you give up? up? Oh, I'm giving up all my day one and probably my two second round picks if that's what it took to get him. Like, I think he is that much of a game changer. I think he's a safe pick. Like, that's the big thing. He's not, everyone's going to talk about Ed Oliver as an interior defensive lineman who's fantastic and I love him. But you're kind of hoping he's that anomaly like Aaron Donald is just based on his size. Right. Quinton Williams is 290 pounds, and he's still putting on weight. And he looks like he doesn't have, like, a big gut or anything. Like, he has more room to add weight, and he's young. So right. I have no questions that he's going to be able to come into the league and be something, if not a star, real quick. Right. I mean, yeah. yeah. I'd give up a lot. I, I would, too. I would, too. Um, real quick, one tweet scout on the Arizona Cardinals defense. 60 burger coming up <laughs> really you, st- Even- <laughs> you stop chandler stop chandler jones you're scoring a lot of points i mean that's more or less what it comes down to uh you can attack the linebackers hassan reddick's looked better these last few weeks but he's still not processing the game as quick as you want to for his early pick of as he was and the rest of the linebackers and safeties aren't providing a whole lot buddha baker's been good but he can't. He's been more of a slot DB as of late, which is a useful position, but it doesn't give him a chance to affect the game as much as you would expect. So really, I mean, you're stopping Chandler Jones on the pass rush, and then everything else, you're just kind of taking whatever they give you, which has been a lot this year. What about uh, what about Pat P? Does is he is he a one side of the field guy? What are they doing? So he will follow around. I'm interested to see if they'll follow, send him into the slot with somebody like Tyreek Hill or constantly have him on Tyreek Hill. I mean, he's not young anymore. He's still in his prime, but nobody wants to chase Tyreek Hill around for an entire no. game. I mean, Chris Harris Jr.'s talked about it. You don't want to do that. So I doubt he spends all his time on one person. They might even be smart and just put him on Sammy and try to bracket Hill with help elsewhere. I'm not exactly sure how they're going to handle that just yet because – they haven't played two receivers plus a tight end in this dynamic. But I do think that you can still attack Patrick Peterson a little bit. You can test him, but for the most part, you're going to go after whoever their second cornerback is or whoever that you can. If you can get Kelsey matched up on Buda Baker, who has been great, just oh, he's small. Yeah, no, small. I love Buda Baker, but that, <laughs> that's not ending well. Uh, Maddie, uh, we'll bring you back on for the mailbag. Let's talk to Craig here right now. And we have Craig Stout. Find him on Twitter at BarleyHop. Craig, you're going to be kind of conflicted on Sunday a little bit, having to watch the terrible Arizona Cardinals go up against our Kansas City Chiefs while Sporting KC's in the playoffs. 
this this is seriously hard for me. I don't know how many of you out there know, but I am like a diehard soccer fan. Nerd. I, I yes, I'm a soccer nerd just the same way that I am a football nerd. I grew up playing soccer, played it for 25 years, played it in college. It, I played it for a long, long time. I love the sport, and my team is in a crucial playoff game that starts at two o'clock. The Chiefs game will be well over and done with, but I'm gonna have to sit there and still be watching the Chiefs game, charting the game, keeping up with everything. Yeah, you're gonna be charting like I, I joked on Twitter. You're gonna be charting Charvarius Ward playing coverage. And oh, I'm here for it. <laughs> I, I am 100 percent here for it. That, that might be more interesting, actually. <laughs> for sure, <laughs> we might we might see we might see the young guys get some reps. You know that that could be interesting. Um, okay, Craig. You wrote a great piece, and you brought back an old friend, sort of. I, <laughs> brought, I brought back an alter ego, yeah. That was so awesome. Uh, you kind of wrote basically like the both sides of Bob, right? Like basically the argument for uh, for like Bob on both sides of it. Um, you just kind of want to like lay out a little bit both sides, the Kalo side and the Craig Stout side. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I wrote it from the perspective of two people that are debating points. You know, it's election day and everything like that. So I wrote it from the standpoint of myself and then my younger, more set in his ways, angrier self, uh, Kalo Phoenix, my former... Much younger. Much younger, my <laughs> former handle on Arrowhead Pride. And I kind of went through everything. I went through run defense. I discussed that... He's always had a terrible run defense and that this run defense isn't really that far out of the norm. Even though they're missing their best three run defenders, it'll certainly get better, but it's still not great because they focus so much on it this offseason. Pass defense is typically good under Bob Sutton. They're 13th in DVOA right now. Uh, He's averaged 12th in his entire time here and once again Eric Berry and Dan Sorensen come back that's the spots on the field that are worse right now than anywhere else that's certainly going to improve they can get better at those parts and then I also had uh sort of adjustments and schematic adjustments and things like that Bob this year has been all over the map he's not necessarily (laughs) calling he's not calling a game you know here one specific way this year it used to be that it used to be fairly specific and he didn't deviate far from it this year it's everywhere he's he's pulling rabbits out of all kinds of hats and then the final one that i just railed on on both sides is that he's a poor motivator of his players he doesn't maximize any of his personnel and that's that's arguably everybody's biggest complaint is that he can't seem to get young guys or young better players onto the field and instead kind of prefers these older guys and then there's no accountability when the older guys don't play up to their standards okay so i'm gonna ask you a question we got for the mailbag now and you've laid a lot out here at Big Bean eighty four asks, no one is calling for Bob Hutton, Bob Sutton's head lately. Is he really the problem with the defense? I know Andy loves him, but is he particularly creative or groundbreaking? Did he make changes that turned the D around the way he has, or are guys just playing better? 
Well, uh, regarding nobody calling for Bob Sutton's head <laughs> lately, uh, come live in my mentions for a little while, and there, there's still plenty of people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. He, he is a problem with the defense, and he's becoming more of a problem with the defense. The execution problems still rear their ugly heads every once in a while, but we're now nine weeks into the season. We still have Ron Parker on the field. We're still seeing snaps, not lately, but from Frank Zombo over Tano passing. No, we're we're seeing situations where it took too long to get a guy like Dorian O'Daniel in the game, even though he's not been great. He wasn't great this past weekend, but he's still a speed and range that the Chiefs can't put on the field right now without him there, and that's where they're getting beat the most. So he he is a major problem that's increasingly becoming a bigger problem as the season goes along. They're not really gaining anything by giving these snaps to these other guys. I mean, the Chiefs are winning big right now anyway. I don't understand why they don't give more rotational snaps to more young players to help develop them. So, um, do you think the Chiefs should move on after this year? Yeah, I I do. I think... Uh, I think that the time is up now. I, I have called for his head in previous seasons, but you know, I, I just think that it doesn't really matter how this season finishes unless their lights out from here on out, which they won't be. I, that's just not the way that this defense is built to right. run. But barring a big playoff run that they shut out good teams or shut them down, there's, there's just, probably an upgrade that you can find out there now the caveat with all this is that everybody's defense is bad this year i mean (laughs) there are so many potentially record-setting offenses and then uh what's the opposite of record setting record setting on the low end defense this year it's still it's still record setting yeah (laughs) but they're so bad this year so there is something to be said for the fact that he's if he can stay in the middle of the pack here, he can get them to the end of the year and maybe allow them to have a big run. But I think it's time. All right, Craig, I want to know a little bit about the Arizona Cardinals. Josh Rosen, tell me a little bit about what you're seeing on that side of the ball with uh, with Byron Leftwich calling the plays now. Yeah, Lord Byron uh, has the <laughs> helm over there. Uh, they uh, got one game with him as the offensive coordinator before their bye a two week, or last week. Uh, run a lot of 11 personnel, a little bit of 12. Uh, they use the second tight end as an H-back more often, and then they'll throw out of that. They don't really like to run out of their 12 personnel. David Johnson looks very hesitant. He doesn't look like the guy who lit up the NFL a couple years ago. And then their interior offensive line can't pick up a stunt to save their lives. The 49ers ate them alive. They were in Josh Rosen's face all week long. I know Bob doesn't really run very many twists or stunts, but this would be the week to get him out. Well, I hope they do, and I hope we see uh, a big, big game, a get-right game for the Chiefs. Uh, how about we bring Maddie on to a mailbag? And we have the whole nerd squad back together as normal. Howdy, partners! <laughs> Howdy, can't. I'm not partaking in these shenanigans. I'm sorry. We we. we 
I I'm I'm convinced that the stuff in between segments might be better than our podcast. Oh, absolutely! I'm telling the fans now. One day I'm gonna figure out how to record the entire Skype call. I'm not gonna let you guys know, and everyone's <laughs> just gonna get a behind the scenes thing, and everyone's gonna hate us and love us at the same time. Yeah, and then <laughs> it's gonna have the most explicit of explicit tags because I'm not censoring myself like I am on this. <laughs> and none of us may be employed there afterwards, but you know. <laughs> yeah, Let's that's get a to that, it. that's a risk. It's a risk. Um, we got a bunch of questions here. We'll start with at AAK Cody. Uh, it took D Ford five years to really get more than two moves down. I feel like the nerd squad is a bit hard on Breland Speaks because the first impression was terrible. All right, so I made this a de facto question for the mailbag because we do get this question quite a bit in terms of Breland Speaks development and comparing it to D Ford's. So I just wanted to go ahead and put it in a mailbag form rather than answering it on Twitter quite often. And to be fair, the Nerd Squad is a little down on Breland Speaks. And it's not necessarily that we're negative about him as a person or even his effort level. It's just I don't think any of us see the particular ceiling that he has. So when you compare his like path to development to someone like D Ford, who had unlimited potential in doing the NFL, it just doesn't necessarily make sense. Like when prospects enter the draft, they are, and sorry, this is going to be a long answer for me before I let my partners jump in here, (laughs) but when players enter the draft, you have like different types of players. You have some guys that are pro ready, like they're ready to come in and play right away. You have some guys that are kind of, they're ready, but they just have to be integrated into a specific scheme. Then you have a player that's kind of raw. So that's what I would say Breland Speaks was. You have a good idea of what he is and what he can do. But he needs some work to refine his movements and what he's trying to do. And then D4. D4 was a project player. He was literally a blank canvas that you had to create everything out of. So it's kind of hard to compare his progression to Breland Speaks because they're starting at different levels. Or to look at it a different way, Pete referred to Dan Sorensen as Montreal steak seasoning today. So we're (laughs) going to stick with the food-related comparisons here. Breland Speaks is like going to the supermarket and buying a raw cut of meat. So let's say like ground beef. That seems a pretty ample comparison for what Breland Speaks is. You know, American, hardworking, everybody loves ground beef, but it's still just ground beef. You can do a few different things with it, but no matter what, you're stuck with this one particular cut of meat and that's all it is. D Ford was like getting a whole cow. You can get any cut of meat you want out of it. You just have to run the risk and put in a lot more time to make it what you want. So there's a crazy high upside, or you could completely mess it up when you're trying to butcher it. Like, it's just two entirely different processes. So saying that D. Ford took four years is fine, but Breland Speaks doesn't have the same ceiling, so it shouldn't take him four years to get to a ceiling. And it's not like D. Ford didn't showcase this stuff in college. He just took a while to get it to work in the NFL because, again, he had no clue what he was doing. He was just out there outrunning everybody in college, throwing together moves that he's seen without knowing how he was supposed to be setting them up. Breland Speaks, on the other hand, just simply doesn't have that upside to get there. So no matter what, even if he learns how to do all these things correctly, how well can he actually execute them being limited physically compared to D Ford? And that's our show, folks. Uh, no, sorry. 
go, go, Craig. No, that's the nail on the head right there. They're just two athletically different people. You can't compare them. It's like comparing apples to hammers. It's not <laughs> something that you can do. He's he's just a completely different player. He's closer to Allen Bailey than he is to D four, which is why we call him. A five tech a lot of times because he moves like a five tech. He he rushes like a five tech. He rushes like you would expect Alan Bailey to rush if you stood him up and put him at outside linebacker. That's why it's confounding to all of us when we see him out there because we just don't see that there is that ceiling, that upside to be a ten sack guy or you know maybe even an eight sack guy. I mean he's gonna have a good motor, he's gonna work hard, and he's gonna stick around on your team because of that, and probably because they'll kick him down inside, maybe if they find out this edge, you know, situation doesn't work for him. But he's just not the same player as D Ford, even remotely close. Yeah, they're they're different guys and you know, there was even debate whether or not I mean, there was a ton of debate whether or not you know, Breland Speaks was going to be kicked inside or playing as an end, as an edge, um, you know. So it, it's it's really hard to kind of compare those two guys. They're completely different players, different physical profiles. And, um, you know, it, we'll see. I, I like Breland's effort. I like, you know, his energy. I like how high, hard he tries and how hard he plays. But at the same time, it's really hard to see a projection to a you know fantastic edge rusher. Um, okay, at Potter CM asks, how were Neiman and Dorian O'Daniel snaps against Cleveland? Hesitant. <laughs> they, <laughs> they're just as hesitant as the rest of the Chiefs inside linebackers. I think we kind of got to see some of Dorian O'Daniel's major deficiencies this week as a 3-4 inside linebacker. He just can't play downhill very well. And then they asked him to do a lot more zone coverage this week, and there's a couple plays, one of them that will be in my post tomorrow, that discusses kind of him not seeing his zone responsibility enter his zone and really doesn't identify the guy until he's left his zone and Baker Mayfield's already wound up to throw the ball. So he just... He needs a lot of work still. Neiman, while he shed better than I thought that he might, he still is waiting at the second level and just letting offensive linemen climb to him and engaging the blocker five yards down the field. Yeah, I mean, I think Craig kind of nailed it. Dorian O'Daniel, for as many splash plays as he kind of gave us that were all outside the tackle box in the previous couple weeks, he looked like a guy that weighs 220 pounds and is playing – on a inside linebacker position for three four team that's not particularly great at holding the blockers in front of them. So he got washed out of a few plays. He's kind of hesitating trying to figure out where he can shoot a gap because he knows he can't take on a block. And Neiman, for as quickly as he seemed to progress through his reads in that kind of early preseason, he kind of had the same issue where he just kind of sat there frozen, almost like he was trying to read the play for a second. And there were a couple plays where he was in man coverage on running backs where he just got dusted from not even like a real route. Just they just ran right by him. <laughs> and he just kind of sat still and waited to see what was happening. But it was his first real game action. So maybe that gets better with a little bit more time. 
Yeah, we'll see. I mean, he might get some opportunities this week against the Cardinals, too. Um, perfect lead into this question. At PJ Castleman asks, inside linebacker in safety seem to be the Chiefs' weakest points on defense. If uh, Eric Berry and Dan Sorensen come back strong, how much improvement should we actually expect from the inside linebackers? Well, from the inside linebackers, I just don't know that the Cavalry's really coming for that. I think you've got to... You've really got to hope that Anthony Hitchens, Reggie Ragland, Dorian O'Daniel start to put things together a little bit. Anthony Hitchens actually started this week off kind of like a house on fire. He he was playing with some intensity. He was filling gaps. He was stacking guards in the gaps. They, they, he actually looked very good against the run until the fourth and one stop, and then he banged up his ribs again, and by the time he came back in, then it was kind of back to old hesitant Hitchens again. So I, I think that maybe if we can key off of a little bit more, just glimpses of it out of Anthony Hitchens to start the game, there could be some improvement there. Barry will help organize things a little more, but in the end, it's really going to be those guys having to improve on their own accord. Yeah, the only real improvement I could see specifically from the inside linebacker group is if they have more trust or faith that Sorensen or Barry are going to be able to cover for them if they start to play more aggressive. I think that's part of the hesitation right now, at least from Hitchens it seems, is he doesn't want to give up the big play. So instead of just attacking and filling one lane or gap, he's trying to play multiple. So if he trusts the guy behind him to Ron. get the cover, yeah, well, <laughs> that's an entirely different story. That man is out there running away from contact. <laughs> but hey, he's he's finding blockers. He's finding blockers on the other side. Of the, I think he was foot racing somebody to the end zone last week. He just turned and ran, man. But no, I think if they trust the guys behind him, they could maybe play a little more aggressive. The issue is they haven't spent any time playing with Barry or Sorensen. So where's that trust going to come from there this late in the season? Did it look to you guys that like Reggie Ragland was moving a little bit better this week too? Like It feels like he's starting to maybe kind of get in a little bit better shape over time. Ragland you know, I, weird. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I did the he was out wide. He had to cover Duke Johnson earlier in the game there and I started to see him run out there and of course I started to roll my eyes the hardest that I possibly could, but he actually <laughs> kept up with him pretty well. It, it wasn't it wasn't too terrible this week on that. Yeah, and every week there seems to be a handful of plays where Raglan just blazes through a gap, right. either blows up a fullback or a guard or makes a tackle for a loss, but then the rest of the game that just completely disappears. And, like, I haven't necessarily charted to make sure they're all in the same kind of play. My theory when I really looked into the inside linebackers was who Ragland, when he was playing on the backside of the run, was a lot more hesitant and got caught up in the traffic a lot more. So maybe these plays are coming when he's more on the strong side. I'm not sure. But he'll have a couple plays each game that look great. And then just the rest of it just sometimes looks so bad. Well, here's, here's actually a theory here. We'll just kind of continue down this inside linebacker role. Um, against 11 personnel, the Chiefs are giving up 4.4 yards per carry. They're giving up above 5.5 against 21, against 22. Wow. Against 12, they're giving up 6.5. Usually when they're in those situations, the Chiefs have three down linemen in front of them. Is Hitchens just – do we think Hitchens is just reading his keys better with four guys in front of him rather than the five? It's possible. Um, it really could be. It's yeah. hard to say because he played in a system that was mostly a 4-3 before, so that pretty much kept it with just four guys in front of him. Right. So maybe it could be trying to read that extra person. 
but in theory that should make it easier for him because you're kind of I mean he may have to scrape every now and then but for the most part your edges should be setting the contain giving him less to worry about but I mean same thing we don't actually know right 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 and that's that's stuff that you would expect that he would have sorted out in the early going here it shouldn't still be an issue uh, Alex, win one, two, three. If the Chiefs have to face either the Saints or the Rams today, which team would they have a better chance of beating? Oh, this is easy. It's the Rams. We're going for at least two fifty on Marcus Peters alone. So, <laughs> no, uh, this actually goes back to Craig's fantastic piece that he did about Bob Sutton. I mean, we can crap on Bob Sutton all we want as Chiefs fans for how he used Marcus Peters or the organization for whatever happened with that trade. But here's the simple fact of the matter. Marcus Peters was a much better player playing in Bob Sutton's scheme than he has been in Wade Phillips so far. Maybe it's injury-related, and this will all come back and not matter, but you can see Peter struggles when he's being asked to press for the Rams. So, and they don't have Tlaib today, because it sounds like he's looking for a Week 13 return, then it's going to be the Rams all day. That defense has been just as bad, if not worse, than the Chiefs as of late. So I have more faith that we could outscore their good offense against their worst defense. Yeah, and I'm the Rams as well. I I think the real schematic advantage that the Rams have over most teams is that Sean McVay is just incredible. I mean, Sean Payton's no slouch either, but Sean McVay is ridiculous, and he schemes guys open, and he gets guys to where they need to be. Our defense does a terrible job of covering people and, you know, collapsing on guys as it is. So I don't think that that schematic advantage is as great. And then, like Matt said, I think that the Rams, despite all of that talent that they have on that side of the ball on defense, is worse than than what the Saints have on their side of the ball. I think the gap between Drew Brees and Jared Goff is big. And I think the gap between Sean Payton and Sean McVay is not as big. So I would I I would be more worried about the Rams, um, or about the Saints. Sorry. At P Flum asks, given Raglan's dwindling snap count, do you think he stays on this team next year? There's a talent in the draft. I think we could go after. Or is there is there a yeah no there there is a talent in the draft, or think we go after a guy in free agency. Um, I feel like we need more versatility and not two thumpers who don't thump a lot. Yeah, I I would have said at the beginning of this year that Reggie Raglan was fairly safely on this team. I mean, they still haven't even paid for him technically. He's the the pick that they gave up for him is in this next year's draft, but. The way that he's looked, he's starting to come on. He's going to be fairly cheap. I think that they'll probably keep him around because I don't see another true thumper on the team. I know we're saying Anthony Hitchens can play that sort of thumper role, but Reggie Ragland is a little more stout. He's built better to help shed blockers and things like that. I think if they're going to go out a guy and get a guy to replace him, they've got to get a guy similar to him or a guy that's going to have the ability to do a little bit of everything. And in order to do that, they're going to have to pay a lot of money, like Anthony Hitchens, or they're going to have to spend a high, high pick on a guy like that. And I'm not sure that they want to do that. So I'm actually going to take the opposite side of this, I think, of Craig. Not necessarily that I think Raglan's got to go because he isn't getting much right now and he does fill a niche role, but that's kind of it. I think strong side linebackers, especially in the 3-4, are just no longer that useful in today's NFL. 
So that need to have a thumper to me, I don't know if it's actually there. I guess Raglan's definitely going to be a better, again, thumper than Hitchens is, but I think Hitchens can be good enough at it that when you're using two linebackers, you could get away with Hitchens sliding over and playing as more of the strong inside linebacker and have more speed and essentially just play with two more weak inside linebacker type players. I actually think that's what the Chiefs looked like they were trying to do for a while with some of their inside linebacker moves next to Derek Johnson after they tried the thumper out. It seemed like they just threw that away, tried to get two guys that could shoot gaps and fly around, and then they just kind of stopped doing it when they made this little switch back to Hitchens and Ragland. So if they wanted to reach for a player in the middle rounds of the draft that they think could fit that, so be it. But if not, I almost think that you're going to start seeing someone like O'Daniel or maybe Neiman going forward start to get a few more snaps in the base two linebacker sets that aren't for specific heavy personnel just because, again, I'm not sure you need a strong side linebacker in today's NFL. Right. And I, I don't think they'll move on from Raglan this year. I think he'll be on the roster next year. But, I mean, it doesn't look like they're – they may not do him a ton of favors when it comes to getting a ton of opportunities. They might move away from him on some situations too. So, at Heisenbergler, too, asks, with teams shuffling through decks of quarterbacks, signing guys like Matt Barkley, starting guys like Nate Peterman, Bortles, Eli, should the Chiefs make it a priority to get Chase Litton on the 53-man roster? Um, I, I, I like Chase Litton. I wrote about Chase Litton. I don't want to waste a roster spot right now on Chase Litton because, you know, the, everything is so kind of out of sync right now. Everything's all over the place with this roster construction right now where they're just trying to piece things together and, um, you know, Eric Berry's occupying a roster spot and Dan Sorensen's now occupying a roster spot. We'll see how this goes. He's not a guy that, you know, if you lose him, you know, salute, have fun, but I don't think you can I don't think you can waste a roster spot on him. Yeah, I'm with you. Teams had their chance to get him and they've had their chance to get him again. So, I don't think that you're going to have no one's clamoring for Chase Litton right now. It's not like we have an ex coaching staff member out there with another team that's searching for somebody that he's comfortable with. If somebody brought in Chase Litton right now, if they're 100% doing it for the future on a whim based on their scouting of him, and again, they've already had multiple chances to snag him up, so I just it doesn't seem like there's as much interest in him as we as fans think there should be. Yeah, no, nobody's going to poach him off of there, but he does have a better chance of going to a team than Paxton Lynch does. <laughs> Let's talk briefly uh, just about how bad Nathan Peterman is <laughs> oh my, at football. Oh my goodness. He's, like, a, he's, he's horrendous. It's he, insanity. He's so awful. He is so awful. I've never seen a quarterback that bad. And the worst part is, like, I know it's probably strong to say I could see this coming from him watching him in college, but I think there was enough warning signs there to say that I definitely did not want him on the team unless I got him at the end of the draft to be a backup. And it's just crazy to me that he was seen as, like, this potential steal of a starter for multiple teams. Like, it wasn't just the Bills. So many teams thought he was like this mid-round steal. The guy simply does not have an arm that can throw to the near boundary. Like, how <laughs> did somebody think that was going to work in the NFL? I literally have seen him roll out to the near side and float a ball that gets picked off. Like, that should be impossible at this level. And he's got more fans than you think, or more fans coming out than you would think, too, which is, I mean, in the NFL. Like, that's... Oh, yeah. I'm, you know? Yeah. You know? Um... Okay, at dharms 19 asks, what is going to have to happen for the Chiefs to stop the run? 
I I think they're working on it. it it's got to start up front with the defensive line. The linebackers are going to be what they're going to be. I, I think that in order for them to play well, the defensive line has got to do a little more work up front. Derek Nottie, especially this week, looked like he was between two minds on a lot of his run fits. Like He'd start to move laterally with blockers and then stop and sort of recognize, oh, I'm supposed to be in this back gap here. And so he'd actually disengage from a blocker to try and get back to a gap, not really watching the running back. So I think that the coaching staff has really at least been preaching, trying to hold their gap responsibilities and try and keep linebackers cleaner or at least, you know, try and make a play with some penetration there. And it appears it's at least in the rookie's head a little bit. Xavier Williams is just blowing right up the field still, so that's not helping the linebackers. But I I think that it's got to start with the guys up front. Yeah, I agree. The defensive line definitely has not been good. Not even just holding their blockers, like multiple guys. Like, I don't care if my defensive line can hold multiple blockers. That's not the scheme we ask them to do. But you have to be able to either, A, hold your gap that you're responsible for, or then if you can't do that, then slow down blockers. And, like, right now, it just they don't do either consistently enough. Too many times they're moving laterally off the snap, and part of that's getting to the right gaps. Part of that's trying to work with the ball and stuff like that. But too many times you'll just see our entire defensive line getting washed down down the line of scrimmage, and then usually we have one linebacker that also gets caught in that same wash, and then it's just another linebacker who, if he's lucky enough to be in the right gap, and when I say lucky, I just mean he doesn't have a free blocker hitting him. He has to still make the tackle, assuming he's there on time, then... You have Ron Parker usually running away or to cover a backside gap that's already covered by the edge defender. Seen that multiple times in the red zone. Like, there's just a whole team-wide breakdown against the run, but I do agree that it starts up front. Uh, at KJH3172, how is Speaks going to get put on a, run, on a running back in pass coverage? Yeah. Well, it, here's, the, here's the thing. The way that it works with that is that Bob Sutton – will like to run his 3-3 or his 3-4 defense against bigger personnel, especially in short yardage situations there. In those situations, specifically the 3-3, what we're all thinking about is the Duke Johnson fourth down pass play. Anthony Hitchens is playing a middle hook defender, and Bob doesn't want to have an empty middle of the field there. He wants a guy that can kind of rob it. So Duke Johnson, if he leaks out, to one side or the other, that outside linebacker then becomes the guy who has coverage responsibility on the running back. Now, everybody and their dog knows this. Anybody who watches the Chiefs defense knows this. They're not going to leak him out to D Ford side. They are purposefully right. going to leak him to Breland Speak's side because they know that's who's covering him. Right. So that's how Breland Speaks ends up on that because Bob's scheme is very rigid in that in that way. And that's how Justin Houston got caught on a couple of them, and that's why people have complained about that too. Well, the craziest part with uh, the Justin Houston thing is teams used to do the exact same thing to Tom Bahali, and I, people didn't complain about it near as much just because everybody liked Tali. But teams would get try to get him in coverage on running backs going downfield too, and it often worked as well. So, I mean, it's not like this is new. This is something the Chiefs have always dealt with. It's just a matter of that's the way Sutton's scheme works. It's not just Sutton's scheme. It's the way a 3-4 defense is going right. to work in some scenarios. Correct. 
So unless they're going to call a specific alert because they expect it to come, there's nothing you can do about it besides live with it and hope that he improves in coverage. Yeah, and Craig kind of, uh, Craig kind of stole my thunder. It was a good call. It was a good call by the <laughs> offense. It was a great call and it's by the, the it's offense. It's the reason that Breland Speaks should not be playing edge. <laughs> Partially. Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, and to Matt's point there, uh, D Ford has dropped into coverage more than any linebacker, any outside linebacker on the Chiefs right now. He's dropped into coverage 15% of the passing snaps this year. That's way up from previous years for him. I don't hear anybody complaining about D Ford in coverage. I hear people complaining about Justin Houston in coverage still, even though he hasn't played for the past <laughs> four games. And then Breland speaks now because he's slow and shouldn't be playing edge. Now, to be fair, I think 15% for Ford is roughly in line with what like Von Miller does for the Broncos, whereas last year wasn't Houston up near the low 20s? Yeah, yeah. Houston was uh, 19 and a half last year. Okay, so I mean, it's a little bit of a, a little bit better for somebody to be at 15%. Now, we've seen maybe a few rumors that maybe Houston was dropping into coverage a couple times just because he thought he saw something rather than trying to rush on a quick pass because teams have gone to the quick passing a lot now, but... You know, 15% is acceptable. It's, uh, it's going to happen. Guys are going to get running backs and outside linebackers. You're going to have to deal with it as Chiefs fans as long as we run the 3-4. Uh, we're going to try to get through these last few questions real quick here. Um, at Chief DG, what do you uh, all see as the biggest obstacle for the Chiefs to get to the Super Bowl and win? The Chiefs, to get to the Super Bowl, all it's going to be is health. As long as they're healthy right now, they have an offense that can win any given week. And, yeah, the defense isn't great. But as long as the offense is clicking and healthy, then they have a chance and they should be a good favorite each week. Yeah, I agree with that. Offense right now is everything. And so as long as they're still moving, the sky's the limit. They can beat any team, and they can beat them, especially if it's an arrowhead. And same goes with the Super Bowl. I think uh, a healthy and motivated Justin Houston and Eric Berry would be a nice jolt, and that might be the thing that makes this thing just really favorable for the Chiefs. Um, at Al underscore Haig, what are the odds the Chiefs go outside of the box and pick a wide receiver with a one or one of the twos? Oh, no, it's a draft question. Here we go. <laughs> now, I'll, I'll make it pretty quick because of the nature of the question. I don't think there's a very high percent chance unless the only chance that they're going to, I think, do that is if they don't have an intention on keeping Tyreek Hill around, which would be an utterly ridiculously bad move. So if they plan on bringing Hill back, this has nothing to do with Watkins going forward. If you're using a wide receiver in round one or two right now, you don't plan on bringing Hill back long term, and that's just a mistake. Yeah, no, I'm using a first on a front seven impact player, and then I'm those twos I'm looking to fill out the secondary if I can. I think wide receiver at this point is just not a need. I think they've got a number of guys that they can bring in to be that third guy or Demarcus Robinson will still be on the roster next year. I don't think they need to make a big move, especially in this wide receiver class. Yeah, it it doesn't seem like a move that I would make. I don't know if there's a guy based on what I've seen so far where he would just be like so clearly tier one and he's just sitting there in the second round, something stupid like that even. Like I'm not totally sure that that's a scenario that could happen this year. At Indiana Ryan 
Uh, how long do you think Eric Berry will need to practice before he's ready to play another game? Um, you know, I think they could, you know, if he gets out there for a week, maybe two weeks, and then you kind of slowly play him a little bit until the big stretch run, I think he's going to be fine. It is going to be interesting to see, um, you know, he's been, he's been, you know, off for 90 days now. Well, I mean, uh, he's not played a football game for almost two well years, over a or year. Like a, yeah, I mean, a year and a half almost. It's year and a half. When it's all said and uh, done. Yeah. To, yeah, to this point, I I think that they'll probably try and trot him out and see what he can do. It's going to be that week after that first game that they're really going to have to monitor him right. more so than I think the practices before i that's kind of why even though i i don't like the idea of sticking a guy who is that rusty on the field playing him against los angeles in mexico city and giving him that extra bye week to try and feel out how he feels after that i wouldn't be opposed to that yeah for me it's less about the practice uh he got a little bit of time in camp so he should be up to date with any changes in the defense and he's been here for long enough to know it it's a matter of just getting back up to game speed. Now, some of that does come in practice, but I mean, a week, two weeks of practice, light week of practice, full week of practice, then just then it's just about getting them into game shape. So as long as they're not trying to push him out there in week 17, right before the playoffs where he's got to be a full go, I think you're good. So as long as just yeah, get him some game time rather than the practice time. At David made a seven. Uh, thoughts on this take. Bob's D must have a safety that knows the D inside out and can coordinate the defensive players on the field. Yeah, uh, that's definitely the case. Uh, the The problem that I have kind of with that take, especially this year, is that with Ron out there, that's the excuse that I always hear, is that Ron knows the system, and that's why he's out there. He's out there lining guys up. Well, guys aren't particularly lined up, and he sure doesn't play like a guy who knows the system. So in Bob's defense there, he does tend to lean on those guys that know what they're doing, but my argument this year has been they're playing a bunch of guys that don't, so why not give other guys a shot? Yeah, and even if you know what you're doing, you got to have the ability or the desire to execute it, and I'm not sure Ron has that at this point in time. So, And the next thing is, if Eric Murray at this point doesn't know the defense inside and out, like I feel like you got to start being a little worried about if he's ever going to get it. So like I understand needing one safety back there that knows everything about the defense, and maybe Dan coming back helps with that. But Ron we'll Parker find out right now. Yeah, we will. Just Ron Parker right now just doesn't seem to be doing anything like Craig said. He's still blowing coverage himself, and even if he knows what something's supposed to be, I don't have the faith that he's going to properly cover it at this point in time. At Taminda78, best non-barbecue restaurant in Kansas City. Um, I'll start, and so I'll, I'll leave some easier ones for you guys since I'm local. Shake Shack's in town. It's amazing. If you haven't had Shake Shack yet, go get a double cheeseburger and cheese fries. Ooh, this is more difficult for me. Um, when I go back, I usually end up just staying north of the river up in like North Kansas City or Gladstone area. So everywhere that I eat consistently is up that way. So I'm going to go with Longboards. Ooh, that's a good place. Hmm. Yeah. Go to the peanut, eat wings. Yes. That's the, that's the choice. That I'm, was another option. I'm getting a peanut so close to my house, guys. Like walking distance. It's on the way. 
Kent's going to get so fat, you guys. <laughs> yes, I am. Uh, last one, uh, at N. Rebarchek. Two things being floated about Bob Sutton's defense the last couple of years. One, it's complicated and it takes a long time for players to comprehend. Two, it's easy for offenses to recognize and manipulate into favorable matchups, Breland speaks in coverage. Is this true? Yeah, it's absolutely true. And he even says kind of at the end of this tweet, it seems like a bad combo. It is a bad combo. It's a very rigid defense. Uh, It does offer some benefits because you have guys that can kind of play in multiple spots, so you're never quite sure what he can shift into. But it is predictable at certain positions, specifically ones where guys are clearly playing out of position. Ron Parker in the box. Breland speaks at edge. Anthony Hitchens at weak side inside linebacker. He that's he's putting guys in spots that aren't good for those guys to be in, and he's asking them to do a lot more than they're comfortable with. Yeah, it, it he hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what's happening. And I think this kind of goes back to my whole Bob Sutton's time in Kansas City has just kind of run its course. There hasn't really been a, not even wholesale, just a big enough change to his scheme and what he's doing. Like There's been different technique changes on how positions play, but the general scheme hasn't changed enough that teams now have five years worth of tape on Bob Sutton's defense in Kansas City with the same general personnel. Teams know what the alerts are now. They know how the Chiefs defense are playing all these different scenarios, and they're just able to exploit the matchups that they want to on it. And that's assuming when right now the Chiefs players aren't poorly executing on their own. You have a team that's executing poorly and an offense that can just go back and study a bunch of tape and say, oh, this is exactly what they're going to do. So now we can exploit this already poor execution. Bad, bad combo. Um, wow. what Ending it on a really high note. Um, that's going to do it for this week. We'll talk to you after the uh, Chiefs-Cardinals game and start looking ahead to the Rams. Catch you later. Go get him. Go get that, David Johnson. (laughs) Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out. And if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.